Lynn, thanks again. Uh, and Sarah, thanks for being here. We love IJM. We, we haven't had the blessing of partnering with y'all formally yet. Um, this is a great start to that. I've, there's nobody I would endorse more than, than they. We're focusing now on, we've grabbed a couple, um, the source and um, an organization, Love 146, that focus, focuses just on ending child trafficking that's local as well. But IJM works with churches all over, I think, the world, certainly the country. And uh, I met Gary Haugen, the founder, in 2001, right after 9-11. And in D.C., he came from the office and just said, it's been a great day at the office. We just got the call that 40, you know, children that were in forced trafficking or have now been set free. And I was just like, who is this guy? And he proceeded to blow my mind. And they've, they've grown to the point now where they're the largest um, uh, slavery fighting institution in the world. And so they, uh, they'll probably be our next uh, Justice and Mercy partner. And we endorse everything that y'all do, and we're so thankful for what y'all do. So, Lynn, thanks for, Lynn's involved with Love 146, and pretty much anything Justice Mercy, fighting bad stuff, she's got her boots on, and she's ready to go, her lipstick and her boots, and she's out there, man. And she has such a platform, so we are so thankful for you. She's our team leader. We've kind of revamped our partnerships. Some of you know that, most of you know that. But we have literature in the back every Sunday. Um, get involved in a parish, but also get involved in a partnership. We have quite a few um, that, we've, that we really believe in and are giving money and time to. So we don't want to just write checks. We do want to write checks. We are writing checks quarterly as a church. Uh, about a 30% of what comes into our church now goes out uh, to planting and partnerships, and we're hoping we're shooting for the 50% mark um, as soon as we can get there. But, um, but also we want, we want to each be involved in an area that God is tugging on our hearts in. So it could be Justice Mercy. If it is, talk to Lynn. She's the team leader for that. The other team leaders for the other organizations and partnerships are, out, are back there. So please, please get involved. It's not, it's not an add-on to the Christian faith. It's not a vitamin boost. It's, it's who we are, like Lynn said. Like she did a great job of saying. The church uh, exists in large part to, to do justice and to, and to fight on behalf of those that have no voice. So th- thank you all so much. Um, so there's a sense in which I'm, trans- I'm transitioning to a text that ostensibly has, really has very little to do with that, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's the Word of God, and it's where we are in Corinthians. So let's, if we can, shift, don't forget about that, but shift with me um, to 1 Corinthians. Open up your Bibles um, if you have one. If you don't, there are some in the back. If you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. Keep it and use it, please. Read it daily and spend that time with the Lord. That's His Word. Um, if you could, go ahead and stand for the sermon. I usually don't read the text, but I am this morning because, Lynn, uh, we had the special presentation, but you hear enough of me talking during preaching, so it's good for other people to read, but I'm going to read this morning um, from 1 Corinthians 14, in the New Testament, past past the Gospels, past Acts and Romans, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. Um, Now let me go ahead and read, starting in verse 26. What then, brothers, Paul says, he's been talking about prophecy, okay, largely in, in some tongues. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. That's the whole point of the the gifts, right? For the edification of the body. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, 
but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. So this is an easy text to preach. For they are not permitted. It's just an easy Sunday, period. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Did we just make a mistake asking Lynn to come up here? Lindsay, okay, I'm going to talk to you about why I don't think that's the case. Keep going with me. 36, almost done. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, and I'll say this in the sermon, but that can mean brothers and sisters in the Greek, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can take a seat. Yeah, actually pray. I don't know if that's been done. <clears throat> Again, not something I normally do, but Lord, we just, uh, you're here. As Paul said earlier, we invite you to come, Holy Spirit, uh, in a new way, if, if only to touch my lips uh, with uh, the atoning coal of the work of Jesus Christ. Fill me, Lord, that I might preach your word. May mine fall to the floor. Use me. Um, open our ears. Open our hearts. This is your word. Not just the red letters, not just the stuff that's easy, not just the stuff we agree with. This, this is your word. Help us to benefit from it. And like Paul said, may we leave change more like Jesus Christ. May you be glorified, Lord. Amen. So I initially, <clears throat> excuse me, I initially titled this sermon Instructions for Orderly Worship because the focus, and I'll return to this over and again <clears throat> in the next 35 minutes, the, instruct, the, uh, the, the, the focus of this text that I just read is order in worship. It's order in worship. We we will pull back from this text, especially if we've read it for the first time, and go, the focus is women being silent, because that's what punches us in the face when we read this thing. But actually, it's for order and worship. So I had the original title as Instructions for Orderly Worship, and I changed it to Tongues, Prophecy, and, and quote, a text of terror. Um, so that's, but having the original title, Instructions for Order, I said, man, it, it sounds like a real snoozer, but it's anything but, as you've, as you've just heard. This is a uh, It'll wake you up, it'll cause you to start to ask questions, it'll start to maybe shake your head, um, it'll, it'll make you want to kind of skip over it or dodge it or just say that was for the Corinthians, not for us, or, or whatever. Um, let's, let's, you know, focus on the other stuff Paul said, but not this, so get out some scissors like, like uh, Thomas Jefferson did and cut out what you don't like, and we're not going to do that. Um, this is one of the most misunderstood of difficult passages, but it's a thrilling passage too in Corinthians, certainly, and in the Bible. So we're just going to go three points this morning, as I always do, almost always. Order with tongues. Talks about tongues first, but order with how we uh, use the gift of tongues in the gathering. Order, order with prophecy, the gift of prophecy, and then order among the sexes, okay? And it, with a special focus on women, but men and women. So order in all these things. And remember last week I talked about, we're in this section where Paul talks about how do we as a body operate in the gifts that Christ died to give us and poured, is pouring out to us by his spirit. How do we operate as a body in those gifts in the corporate setting and then in our home churches, in our parish families, in our parish gatherings, and then just as we live and walk and breathe? How do we do this? But especially in the corporate setting of worship. So last week was kind of the what, what is it, and then this week is more the how-to. So we're going to start with tongues and prophecy, then we'll get briefly to what he says about women. But let me just say this. I am going to touch on 
and more than touch on what he says about women keeping silent in the churches. I'm going to take the entire sermon, the entire time next week, because we have basically a free week until we get to 15, to just focus in, give it due time. I don't want to move past it too quickly. I want to deal with it right. So, so if you feel like I shortchange it, I am shortchanging it this week. It's okay. But let, I'll do some digging. I'm not going to prune the tree, but I'm going to dig around a little bit on the third point. So let's go order, of tongue, order with tongues first. Um, I want you just to look at verse 26 in so that first verse I read in chapter 14. And look at the litany that Paul gives. He's talking about, he's talked about prophecy in tongues, and then he just kind of lists out what a, what a worship service looks like. Look at verse 26 there. These are non-exhaustive, it's a non-exhaustive list, but it's, these are the typical elements in, in a worship gathering. He says, if anyone has a hymn, that's just singing, it's what we've done. A lesson, it's a sermon, teaching, preaching. If anyone has a revelation, so a prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, which he mentions in chapter 12. If anyone has a tongue, whether divine or a language, or human, a human language that we don't know, either way, it's something that's been downloaded, that's been given from God, and I'm to speak it, but he says, also, if there's an interpretation, and he gets into how to do that. If, there, if you get a tongue, if you feel like you get a tongue from the Lord, but there's no interpretation in corporate worship, it's to build the body up. So if nobody can understand it, then it's not, keep your mouth shut, be silent, okay? Um, so there's this litany. By the way, the ESV says, or if there's an interpretation, but there is no or in the Greek. It's just if anyone has a tongue, if anyone has an interpretation. So these are all, the point I want to make here, just before we dive into tongues, these things are all a normal part of worship for Paul. All these things. And, and we, we get the singing, we get the hymn, we get the sermon, we get that. But then he throws in, if anyone has a revelation, if anyone has a tongue, and we're kind of like, what? But for Paul, this is just a normal part of worship, and they ought to be for us because the word tells us how we ought to live and be. These ought to be normal parts of worship. So we're walking into that as a church, and we're going to figure this out together according to the word of the Lord. Um, but we shouldn't sensationalize any of these things, nor should we remove them from the liturgy. But nor should we single them out and say, okay, it ought to all be tongues or all be prophecy. No, there's teaching in here. There's singing in here. Okay, these are just normal elements. Um, prophecy and tongues and miracles belong beside the elements of teaching, singing, praying, prayer. Uh, excuse me, praying. Yeah, I, I said praying and prayer. Why did I say that? Um, so we're familiar with some, not with others, but these are all, for Paul, normal um, they're all from the Lord, and they ought to be all to the Lord. If you look at 14, verse 6, there's another litany Paul gives there. He puts revelation next to knowledge, next to prophecy, next to teaching. Okay? So what we tend to do is we'll tend to pick out, in the conservative American church, Bible-believing church, we'll tend to pick out knowledge and teaching, and we'll leave revelation and prophecy. Okay? Or in, perhaps in the charismatic church, we'll do the opposite. Okay, but Paul, for Paul, these are all from the Lord, even the teaching, right alongside the prophecy. Okay, so um, let's embrace, my point is, let's embrace all these in faith, and what's his point here? In good order, and he kind of tells us how to do this in the corporate gathering. And then also, again, what did I hammer on last week? It's what he hammers on. It's how he starts and ends this chapter, chapter 14, in zealous pursuit of all the gifts that God has for his church. And that's part, guys, of how women actually, if, if indeed there is a, something that Paul is saying, and it seems that he is, I'll get to this briefly today, about how there are some roles reserved only for men, teaching and authorities, thus saith the Lord from the scriptures, governing, okay, um, perhaps weighing prophecy, not giving prophecy, but weighing prophecy. 
then it's all the more important for us to operate in all the gifts because women are called to prophecy, to prayer, to tongues, to interpretation, to teaching in some capacities, to administration, to helps, to mercy, and on and on and on it goes. But if we shortchange, I think a lot of times it's women who suffer most. And there have been there, 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 there is abuse in the church, and it's, and it's a shame, and I, I, for one, want to repent of it, apologize for it, and move into what God has for us together. So a little bit of instruction for tongues, and then we'll move to point two, prophecy. Um, what does Paul say here in verse 27? He says, only two or three at most, okay? And he says, one at a time, so in the gathering, not 10 or 12, okay? If you have a tongue, he says, first of all, don't all go at once, there needs to be order, Go one at a time, he says. We need to be able to hear it. We need to be able to interpret it, whether it's you interpreting or someone else, that tongue, so that we can understand and actually be enriched and built up and edified. If that's not happening, he says, just do it in your prayer closet with the Lord. Okay? It's not for corporate worship. Corporate worship is for all of us to be edified. All right? Um, so he says, Let, do it all at once. Only do it two or three. Don't dominate the gathering. And let there be an interpreter. Okay? If not, what does he say? If not, if there's no interpreter, keep silent. So that's the first thing I want to say, sort of with regard to the keep silent. I've already, Paul's already scandalized you in the reading, and then I've scandalized you again by spotlighting it because it's the elephant in the room. Women, keep silent all the churches. What? Paul's a misogynist. You know, that's, our, that's where we go to immediately. Hang on. We know better of Paul. Okay, hang on. This is the first time in this text of three times that he says keep silent which is one of the reasons I've marched out. He talks about tongues, he talks about prophecy, and then he talks about women in this context. And the first time he says keep silent is not to the women. It's to everyone with regard to tongues. If there's no interpreter, keep silent. Because what's he going after? Order. Order in the gathering, okay? Order in the gathering. So um, he's, he's talking to the Corinthian church, which probably had a tendency for everyone to start speaking in tongues, very gifted church, but not as much love as was needed and certainly not as much order, okay? And so he's like, hey, hey, one at a time. And if there's no interpreter, be silent. Be silent, okay? So, so stop it, go one at a time, go in order to make sure that people benefit and make sure there's an interpretation. And, and guys, and this is the last thing I'll say and then we'll go to order with prophecy point two. Um, there's a, only two or three, because he's looking for proportion. Remember, the, I started out with this litany. There's a hymn, there's singing, there's preaching or teaching, there's prayer, there's a tongue, there's an interpretation. There has to be an interpretation if there's a tongue. There's some prophecy, there's some revelation, some things God might be given. The body, you see the body at work and all this stuff. It's not just one dude up here. We're moving, we want to move more and more prayer team. Uh, folks might have a word. We're going to create a system for that in obedience to this. Uh, you got a tongue? We need an interpretation. You got a word of prophecy or word of knowledge? Come on. But we're going to filter it through the eldership. We're going to do it in good order. You feel the body being the body in the corporate setting more than we're used to? You feel that? It feels good. It feels right. I've been a part of it in churches, and I want to get there. And I want to get there according to God's word, together, full of his spirit, together. So proportion. Don't let tongues and prophecy take up the whole time. There are other elements here, okay? God's doing all sorts of stuff. Let the body be the body. Let people exercise their gifts. So that's, that's, that's order with tongues, briefly. Order with prophecy. Um, verse 29 basically says very, something very similar, okay? There needs to be order, just like with tongues in these giftings. Two or three at most. Again, what's the deal? Proportion. Don't let prophecy take over. If you feel like you get a word from the Lord, two or three of those. And go in order, 
and we still got to have time for the teaching, the singing, the prayer, some healing, other things, okay? So, but here's the thing. He, he says this. He says, here's some rules for order. Be silent if there's no interpretation for tongues. Don't do more than two or three for prophecy, same thing. But pursue it. Run hard after it. Don't think I'm saying put the brakes on it, but I want you to do it in the right way for the most benefit to the body. He starts 1 Corinthians 14 that way. He ends it that way. Pursue these things hardcore. Thing is, we, we, want to make to, we do make time and space as people. Forget church, just as people. We make time and space in our lives for what we prioritize, for what matters to us. And as a church, we want to, in these gatherings and in our smaller expressions of the church's family, in our home gatherings and our parish family gatherings, and when we are together, we want to sing to the Lord. We want to pray together. We want to open his word and remind each other of his word together, study it together. We want to talk about what God is doing, bear testimony together. Is he giving, let's listen a bit. Is he giving us something? What do you want from us, Lord? Let's, let's leave some time for revelation. Is there a tongue? I don't, I don't, I've never spoken in tongues. I don't know, but I, Lord, I'm supposed to pursue it. Would you give me some tongues? But I need an interpretation if there's going to be a tongues, all right? Otherwise, you'll say, Pastor, shh, it's not for now. Okay, so we make time and space. We want to make time and space. We are working with your parish leaders to make time and space for what God tells us ought to be a normal part of corporate worship and of our life together as a gifted body, you see? So more and more and increasingly, you are going to find here, but first in our parishes, this is going to take a little longer to get used to and to figure out how to do well, to create a system for it. It's going to be simple. Prophecies are probably going to run through me at first, okay, through the elders' filter, and then when we get more elders, we'll have some elders in various places. I'll get to that in the end. But in our gatherings, in our home gatherings, we're going to be leaving time not just for talking to God, but any relationship is a two-way street in conversation. So also listening, Lord, what do you have for anyone here? And, and beginning to walk into this more and more together in good order, in good proportion, so that all might be built up to walk into the gifts that he's died to give us, okay? So, prophecy, it's a bit different before we move into the, the finish order among the sexes. Um, it's a bit different from tongues. He says, let two or three prophets speak and then let the others weigh what is said. So, with tongues, we need an interpreter. What's the hand about hindai? You know, this is, this is a phrase that sounds like tongues. It's like, shit about a hindai, you know, um, but... Uh, Anyway, I don't, I don't know what, something like that. You go tongues, nobody knows what that means. I don't know what that means. That meant nothing because it's gibberish. But you get some tongue, you need to wait for an interpretation, okay? And you need to have an interpretation because you're, the spirit of the prophet or the person speaking the tongue, the Holy Spirit, right, is subject to um, the person. You're not overwhelmed by something. It ought to be done in good order. So if I speak a tongue, I, there ought to be interpretation. If I... Um, if I speak a prophecy, I need, it needs to be weighed and evaluated. And Paul seems to really say, perhaps by the elders, but by the body, okay? And I'm not, again, we're not, I'm not quite sure how that works. I want, I want to take some more time to press into that. Um, but right, right now, I'm thinking we're probably going to do it through the elders, at least at first. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So let the others, and he doesn't say let the other men. It might be. But right now, it seems like he's talking about the congregation, okay? Um, so he doesn't say, now let another interpret, um, but let the others weigh what is said, verse 29. So prophecy seems to be able to be weighed by the ecclesia, the congregation, the gathered saints, the church. 
while tongues needs individual designated interpreters. Could be, I believe, the same exact person that says, I have a tongue, I feel like I have an interpretation as well. Boom, okay? Um, if there is no such person for a tongue, or if that person has no interpretation, it ought not to be spoken in the gathering, okay? And um, we ought not either just have a prophecy that's not sort of articulated, fleshed out, opened up, applied, evaluated and applied to the congregation, okay? Um, again, I'm not sure yet how this is going to look in the Sunday gathering, and we're walking this out in our parish families, but a few things that we will do. We will require an interpretation for tongues, if it's spoken out loud, because, all things, because Paul says it clearly here. We will weigh prophecies spoken, probably through the elders, um, at least at first, and also, I've seen that done in the churches where this is done well, that, I, that are Bible-believing, spirit-filled, and there's order uh, in a real sense of God's presence. I've seen that. It's always run through the elders. And then we will practice, thirdly, we will practice these things with proportion, making space for them, but not letting them dominate the gathering. So those three things we will do, okay? Um, in sum, we're going one at a time for tongues and probably for prophecy also. Every tongue needs an, interp- every tongue needs an interpretation so it can benefit all. You need to be in control of your gift not swept away by it, and all things need to be done decently and in order for the benefit of all. Um, into this context, okay, points two and three, that's points one and two, excuse me, tongues, order in tongues, prophecy, order in prophecy. Into this context, Paul comes with this command, which we like to isolate, and which we just tend to isolate in our minds, because it's like as soon as we read it, women keep silent in the churches, it just goes, Wah! and that's, we forget about everything else we've read. Into this context, um, if you have a tongue but no interpretation, be silent, okay? And then also, if you have a prophecy, uh, what does he say in verse 29? Go with me there. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Um, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, verse 30, let the first be silent. So if the first gives a prophecy, and then there's another prophecy or an interpretation going on, the first, one, the first prophet needs to be silent, okay? So that's the second mention of silence. And then the third is to the women in this gathering. Um, so order among the sexes. This is the text of terror thing. It's something I stole from Kathy Keller. She writes something really helpful on gender roles um, in 2012 on this, on this text and on a few others in the Bible. She calls them texts of terror, but it's tongue-in-cheek. It's not, it's not her phrase, but they are. They strike us that way, right? Um, but I want to just say, and I'll say this more as we, as we finish up with this last point, they strike us that way. They're hard. They're often misinterpreted. They're used to abuse. Um, but they're also in a context where we've learned to trust Paul What he says, he says as from the Lord, as from the Lord who gave himself for us. So these come in a context where we we can't just cherry pick, okay? This is from a God through a prophet who loves us, who has shown that he is very concerned about actually elevating in almost every way the rights of women, okay? And from a God who who gave himself for men and women alike. So um, they strike us as texts of terror, but they're, also, they're actually precious and they have much to teach us. So let's look at order among the sexes briefly now, and, um, and then we will, we will just camp out in this, in this bit next week. So briefly, what this text of terror cannot mean, okay? What this text of terror cannot mean. It cannot mean that women shouldn't prophesy in the gathering. 
Why? Because in 14, in this chapter alone, the nearest context, in 14 verse 1, verse 5, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 39, he talks about using the gifts, prophesying, tongues, and he talks, he gives it, he enjoins brother, it's translated brothers in the ESV, but it's adelphoi in the Greek, which can mean brothers and sisters, okay? So he's almost certainly in those contexts, in those verses that I just gave you, speaking to the whole congregation. Also, explicitly, a few chapters back in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, he's talking to women, and he says, when you prophesy, cover your heads. And we talked about how, again, the text where Paul, cover your heads, women, it seems it seems really oppressive, but it's actually a liberating, ennobling text because it was basically giving the right to be covered with something that married women had. And if you're a prostitute or even single or, or known as a loose woman, you couldn't have that same covered appearance. You had to actually, by Roman law, have your hair uncovered. But Paul comes along and says, no, all women get the same covering in Christ. So he's actually lifting up, just like Christ did, through the word, the word of Christ through Paul and the word of Christ in red letter in the Gospels, it ennobles, it lifts up, but it also gives order and delineates among the sexes too, okay? But in 11.5, Paul says, when you prophesy women. So we know that he can't be saying a few chapters later, you can't prophesy. You can't speak at all. That's not what he's saying in the gathering. And he's also telling them, you know, when you speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. Also, more broadly, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up to preach and what does he say is going to characterize the last age? He says, these days, we've, we've reached the last days. We've reached the end until Christ returns, essentially. And what is going to characterize these last days? This church age, okay, the end times, referred to in various ways, the age of the Holy Spirit. In the past, uh, as, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1, prophets, various prophets through the ages would speak God's word. But actually now what's going to characterize the age between Christ's two comings is that he's going to pour his spirit out. He's, and that's what he's just done in Pentecost. He's just poured his spirit out on 120 people, and then 3,000 come to faith through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. What's going to characterize this age is a couple things, more than a couple things, but for our purposes, not just a select few are going to prophesy. Slaves, freemen, young girls, young boys, old people, men and women alike, my spirit's going to be poured out, and everyone's going to be prophesying, y'all. Everyone's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking what God gives them. Hey, always in line with, what, with the received, written, old, and new covenants. Always in line. Always in line. Okay? But this is going to characterize <clears throat> men and women, girls and boys, being revealed things by the living God, by his spirit, filled with, filled with them and then giving them to the church. And people that don't know God are going to see this and have their mail read, as it were, and hit their faces. Either run shrieking in terror from God or say, where do I sign up? God's real. Jesus came to save me. I'm a sinner. You died for me. Save me. Okay? And that's what we looked at last week, part of what gifts are for, part of what prophecy is for. So it's going to characterize, this. I said two things, prophecy is going to characterize this age, and then how does... Peter finish in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 21. He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so you can't just say, well, the prophecy thing was just for Pentecost, or the prophecy thing was just for that, the early church. No, because then you have to also say, well, that bit at the end where he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, that was also just for the early church. No, sir. No, sir. We're not going there. We're not doing that. Okay. He also 
so he also, uh, therefore, can't be saying, he's not saying that women should not prophesy in the gathering, and he therefore cannot be saying that women can't speak in the gathering. So what does it mean? And again, we're going to go much more next week, but let me just say a few things. Let me just say a few things. Um, like I said, again, this, it bears repeating, this is not an, an isolated keep silent. He says in verse 28 about tongues, that there's no interpreter. He says it about prophecy in verse 30. Um, does someone offer, offer a revelation after you? Let them go. Keep silent. And then to, about women in verse 34. Um, with order in mind. Okay, with order in mind. Also, it's just a fact that women tended to be less educated, not less smart, not less, less educated formally in this society, um, in the Greek world here. And so there would, have been, there would have been a great heightened possibility that when the word was preached, um, there was possibly less understanding. Also, almost certainly in these churches, women sat on one side, men sat on another, so there was separation. Okay, so leaning over to ask your husband something or the person, the man you were sitting next to really wasn't a possibility at that time like it is now, okay? Um, and so to call out across the aisle would have been extremely disturbing, and yet that's something probably like what Paul is speaking to here in the Corinthian church. There's, just, there's, there's loudness, there's disorder, um, there's separation, but that it's leading to a lack of order and a lack of receiving and a lack of hearing and a lack of being edified through the gifting that's going through the body. Um, also, if you're understanding less as a contingent of women sitting all in a block, you're going you're gonna to pro- be mo- more prone, and there's evidence possibly that this happened in the Corinthian church, you're going to be more prone possibly to talk about other stuff, to chit-chat. And actually that's what, um, while the teaching and the hymns and the prophecies and the tongues and the interpretations and the evaluations are going on, that's actually what, there's a scholar named Ken Bailey who's an American, but he spent most, he's, he grew up in the Middle East, and um, he speaks Arabic fluently, and he reads all sorts of Middle ancient Near Eastern languages. And he, was, he shares about how he was preaching in this context today, or recently, that's um, still very much like that. The women were sitting on one side, the men were sitting on another side, and the whole time the women were just talking, um, in part because of what I just said. Not less reverent by nature at all, but there was just a divide. Um, and so they were talking the whole time, and he was extremely distracted, and they weren't hearing anything, but then the men weren't getting as much either. Um, and so that could be part of what's happening here. And he's just saying, look, order, and for you and for the men and for everyone in the room, there needs to be silence. If you have a question, ask it when you get home. Um, okay, so let me say a few more things. Again, in the... I, my. New Testament professor Mike Kruger wrote a book on the second century church, and in it, uh, I, I listened to a lecture recently that I sent out to the church. Um, he talks, among other things, about how the second century church was two-thirds women, and it was so ennobling. Christianity was so ennobling to women. It gave women so many more rights than any of the other religions. In fact, a lot of the other religions that were available were, only, were men-only religions, um, and, but they certainly weren't ennobling. And so Christianity was, and women were just flocking in droves. So we know that about Christianity in the early church in the first and second centuries. Um, and we were called, again, from 1 Corinthians 11, how Paul actually, what he says sometimes, it seems demeaning, is actually really, when you get into the context, it's really, um, really ennobling to women. Um, and when, then we think about Jesus these are the words of Jesus Christ we believe through not just the red letter, but all that we have in the Bible, the words of the living God, of Jesus Christ himself through, in this case, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church and then to us. 
Um, and, and nobody loved women like Jesus. I mean, I preached a couple weeks ago on how the, that woman uh, who was known as a, a sinner, likely a prostitute, sensed the love of Jesus, sensed his lack of judgment, sensed the forgiveness that was available, available to her and the love coming from him and just was attracted to him like he was a magnet and fell down at his feet and poured out what she had on him and cried over his feet and wiped his feet with her tears. This is not an uncommon scene with Jesus, but it's, it's ridiculous imagining that happening to anybody else. But Jesus, he's a lover of men and women alike. And many, there were many women who supported his ministry, even women from Herod's household. Um, who supported Jesus' ministry because he loved them so well. So, um, and there were women that were the first to witness the resurrected Christ, okay, that he gave that privilege to and entrusted that to. So over and over and over, we see the opposite of God pushing down women. So we have to, we have to kind of, that's sort of a tilling of this soil and going, this, this can't be that. Um, we know it's not forbidding them to, to prophesy. We know it's not saying you can't speak but there were contextual things going on here. Um, a couple things, a couple ways we can go with context. We need to dig more into context. I'm going to do it more next week. But we can, two things we can do that are wrong. Okay, we can over, we can under uh, contextualize. We can over and under interpret the context. Then we can also over interpret the context. So just briefly, what am I talking about? So we can, we can under interpret the context. Um, well, let me. Okay, let me let me let me say that let me say it this way. Let me start with overcontextualize. We can overcontextualize and throw the baby out with the bathwater, and say, okay, Paul's clearly saying here uh, to the Corinthian church that was messed up in a misogynistic world, and he was a bit of a misogynist too. I don't believe that, but people say that. Okay, he was Paul, so we're going to cut that out. He was saying that women can't speak in church, but that could have it was it was likely. First of all, Paul's not to be trusted. Okay, so he hated women. So let's just do away with that bit. Plus, it was to the Corinthian church, not to any other churches. So let's also do away. It's not for us today at all. And also, we're not even sure it was Paul. We can start to come up with all sorts of theories, which, which happens and has happened in many commentaries. Of th- this is actually uh, an editorial insertion. I don't think this is Paul. Do you think there might be a bit of a motive there? Um, man, what a, what a motive to say this isn't Paul because it's a hard text. So that is... Um, to over-contextualize. Yes, it was to the Corinthian church, and yes, not because of that context, not everything that he says here um, will apply. But it's still to the church. And he says, as in all the churches. So he's speaking to the church, and he's speaking to us. But we have to filter it through the Corinthian lens. So that's to, that's to over-contextualize. But to, what, what about to under-contextualize? Okay, to under-contextualize is maybe just to read it and not look at how the Corinthian church itself would have nuanced it. And then to say, well, he says women can't speak in the churches. So women, you can't speak. Anchoring, whoops, we messed up there. Prayer, prophecy, even though he clearly says in other places, women prophesy. When you prophesy, do this, do that. Um, Tongues, other giftings that are speaking giftings, teaching that is non-authoritative in a sense. No, we're, you're just not doing any of that. You can't speak. That's to under-contextualize. So we don't want to do either of those. We don't, we're walking sort of as it were on a knife-edge precipice, and we could fall off on either side, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Um, okay. One of the things that um, 
just trying to figure out how I want to, what I want to give, and then how I want to close because we need to, I need to close. Um, so one of the things he could be saying is with regard to, let me just give you a couple things, and then share something Kathy Keller said, and then I'll and then I'll walk us into a close. Um, one of the things he could be talking about, it's in the context, starting in verse 29 all the way up until this verse, up until verse 33a. It's in the context of gifts, of speaking gifts, of prophecy. And he's speaking in the context of prophecy, and he's also talking about weighing prophecy, which is saying, okay, I really feel like this is what God is saying, close to a thus saith the Lord, okay? So it could be in the context of weighing, not speaking prophecy, but weighing prophecy and saying, I really feel like this is what God is saying to us right now, that Paul is saying, I want that to be for men, okay? I want that. That's an authoritative thing um, that is a, it's a sort of governance, almost a thus saith the Lord. I feel like this is what God is saying, and for the protection of all and the benefit of all, there are different roles, okay, distinctive gender roles. Yes, Paul does believe that, and he goes back to Genesis for that. Um, and he could be saying, that needs to pass through, as it were, the elders, through the governing body of the church for the protection of all. But women, men, be prophesying, be pursuing it, but let it be done in order. So it could be speaking of weighing prophecy. Um, it could also be speaking into a context that I don't fully understand yet, that I'll know more about next week, of, of how the women are in one segment, section, the men are in another. Uh, the women not, might not be understanding the text as well that's being preached. I'm not sure about that, but I know that's a possibility. And so he's saying, look, in order, in order for there to be good order, for people to be able to hear well, and to be edified, um, keep, uh, keep silent if you have a question, or uh, you know, don't chit-chat, um, things like that. So, so again, there's going to be more next week that we're going to dive into together on this as we sort of really start to prune the tree and, and figure out what Paul's saying. But those are two possibilities. I, I, don't want, I want to minimize distractions. I want there be, to be a maximum of order and a maximum of benefit for all so that the Lord can speak through his people, Okay. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Um, one of the things that Kathy Keller, she, she is in a church, her husband's Tim Keller, and he up until recently was a, a pastor of a PCA church, um, which is like we are. It's um, um, not egalitarian, but complementarian, which means that um, women, there's giftings, all the giftings are for all, the, all men and women except that in this church, um, matters of spiritual authority, both in the family and in the church family, and of governance, are, are for men. So eldership for men, pastoring for men alone, for the benefit, the protection, the care, the nurturing of all. Okay, that's, that's our position as a complementarian church. That's the position that she's in, and she fully believes that's what scriptures say. But she's also all for women doing all the things Paul talks about, including teaching, in, in a lot of different roles. And she's like, for instance, let me give you an example of sort of what I feel like Paul might be saying here. Um, if I teach a seminar, you know, from the scriptures, I'm teaching a seminar, and you go home as a man, and, or as a woman, and you say, uh, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're in the car. You know, like, I don't agree with any of that at all. She says, what's going to happen to you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay? You're free to disagree. More than that, you're free to just push it off and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, okay? But when the elders of the church come to you and say, we believe and we call you as a member of this church to believe, 
what you've confessed to and what is orthodoxy handed down, revealed through the scriptures, which is among other things, that Christ is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God, fully God and fully man, born of a virgin. He lived in our place, a life of perfect obedience. He died in our place on the cross. He rose again from the dead three days later, and he is reigning. And we, apprehend, we receive that by faith in him, and in him we live, move, and have our being. If you, if you at that, then have the same response and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, what, what will be the consequence? What will happen to you? Well, it's not, I can't say nothing at all. If you're a member, it will be, we will challenge you. We will encourage, we will find out what's going on. Where's the dissonance? This is a serious thing. If you, uh, we will bring others in. Eventually, we'll bring the elders in. And if you continue to say that, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I totally disagree. No. Then you'll be excommunicated. And that what that means is you'll be treated for your own benefit um, like an unbeliever so that the whole church doesn't continue to treat you in such a way such that you think that you are saved but rather that you're in a very precarious place. And indeed, so you are. So you see the difference there? So she says, she kind of uses that example. I think it's a good one to sort of begin to talk about maybe this is something of what Paul's saying here because he's not saying don't operate in these gifts. He's not saying women can't talk in church. He's not saying that, but he is calling for order. And he is calling, listen to this, and I'm gonna close with this, for order among the sexes and for distinction among the sexes, okay? There is a difference. We are complementary in both of equal worth and dignity before God, both made in his image. But there is a difference, and in that difference, there is complementarity and richness. And in a world where um, gender is completely gone insane and where there is no mooring at all and you can just be anything you want of your own creation, the Bible says no to that. The Bible speaks into that, and Paul speaks into that and says there is beauty in distinction. There is beauty, hey, can I say this? Because he says some other things too that we'll get big time into next week. There is beauty in mutual submission and there is beauty in the submission of to the authorities placed over them of men and women alike, but of the wife to her husband and of women to um, within the church family saying, this is not for me, this is reserved for the male shepherds and leaders of the church. There is um, there is blessing in that and, and, and I'll just finish with this. The the one way, we know in many ways this is a blessing, but the chief way that we know this is that in submitting himself to the will of the Father, can I say this? Against his will, not my will but yours be done. In submitting himself to the will of the Father, he who was and remains equal with God in worth, Christ the Son, submitted himself to the will of the Father and thereby procured the beginning of the renewal of all things, your salvation and mine. In submission, Christ shows us there is extreme, and can I even say ultimate power? When Christ submitted to the Father and died on the cross for us and opened himself up in trust to the Father, in submission, power went out, an atomic power went out from there that is remaking all things. He has turned the tables on the world and, sh- and he, has showed, he has shown us, and is showing us in part through this text, the way to true power. It's through submission. It's through service. It's through excelling each other and washing one another's feet. It's through having our ambition be to go low. That's what the church community should look like, and there's a sense in which, in a particular way, the submission of women, in some capacity Paul's talking about here, models that for us like a, like a diamond in a beautiful setting, okay? The world, never before has the world needed this more than it needs this right now for our community to get this distinctiveness and through this for all to be edified.
Okay. That is all I'm going to say um, for now. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this word. It's a hard word. It's an often misunderstood word, but it's a beautiful word. It's for our benefit because we know that it comes from the God who is word and who as word came into our darkness as the only light and uh, was crucified and, bearing all, and buried all according to your plan. This, this is your love for us, men and women alike, so we know we can trust you. It's not just the red letters. It's the black letters, too. It is your word. We don't want to pick and choose, Lord. We want to trust, and in our trusting, we want to understand, Lord. Faith-seeking understanding. Lord, help us to live this out this week even, as much as we know how, to return to this word, to know that through it we come to you and that you are worthy of all of our trust because you have created us and you are recreating us through your broken body and blood now resurrected. So to that table we now come. In Jesus' name, amen.